and welcome to the Changing Directions Filmmaker Podcast Series, presented by 206.com. Changing Directions is a podcast interview series focused on diverse and emerging filmmakers who are pushing the boundaries of what's possible for women and people of color while creating amazing films. I am your host, Mark Morin, and today I'm speaking with award-winning filmmaker, Young Chang, the director of an amazing documentary called Wuhan Wuhan. Young, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Mark. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. Now, first of all, I would like to say congratulations on your world premiere at this year's Hot Docs Film Festival. How does that feel? It feels great. You know, Hot Docs uh, is a festival that has supported my career from the very beginning. When I first finished, a mid, I made a medium-length uh, documentary back in 2002, uh, 2003. I can't even remember the date now. <laughs> and it was um, it was about a Chinese farm in eastern Ontario uh, where they were growing Chinese produce for the local community, the local Chinese market. Uh, and I followed a grandmother who ran the farm from Guangzhou originally, and I followed her over the four seasons of a year in, on this little farm. They were working with Mexican migrant workers and. Uh, uh, so anyway, that was the beginning of my career with, and and I think Hot Docs has been supportive ever since. So it's it's a great feeling to be back at that festival. Oh, that's great. Now expanding on that a little bit, Hot Docs is a doc. I almost said Hot Dogs. Hot Docs <laughs> is a documentary film festival based in Canada. And from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're from Ontario. So what does it mean for you to premiere this film at this particular festival, even beyond you know what you just described? You know, it's just, uh, I grew up in Canada. I'm, I'm originally from Ontario and uh, I had lived in Montreal for 20 plus years, but recently returned because I have a young family, a young daughter, and uh, my partner is American from Minneapolis. So it, um, it made more sense to be in Ontario, but to be at Hot Docs, and I have to say, often people think I do say hot, hot dog, <laughs> uh, but uh, hot dogs, it's a hometown festival, you know what I mean? And and so there's something about it being able to premiere a film that, that is close, just in my backyard, so to speak. And so um, granted, it is a virtual festival, um, but I think hot dogs has really managed to get on top of that kind of experience with their virtual festival last year in 2020. I just feel like they have a good handle on it. It's they, you know, what's great about Toronto festivals and I think Hot Docs, Toronto Film Festival, you know, there's a whole bunch. Um, there's another Real Asian International Film Festival. All of these, they just bring out the best audiences. People are very supportive. The public is supportive. You have lineups or you used to have lineups around the block uh, just to get into a movie. And I think and I'm expecting that we'll have the same virtually. You know what I mean? So. That's what matters, I think, that we get to bring it back. Uh, to release a film in, in, in a premiere at a, at a hometown festival is always a special experience. I think, you know, the coda to that is that we are in Ontario entering a third wave of the pandemic, which is worse uh, than the first wave and uh, largely due to failure of powers that be. And uh, but but I think uh, something that my film speaks to and, th and something that uh, that I think we are seeing throughout the pandemic around the world is the resilience of the everyday person, the everyday essential worker, the, the healthcare worker, these people that step up and help us. And so given that situation currently in Toronto, I'm hoping that uh, my film Wuhan Wuhan can kind of fill a gap in terms of how we process what we're going through. 
Oh, absolutely. Thank you for putting it in those terms, too, because I really believe that movies, whether it's a documentary, a short film, feature film, blockbuster film, does give us that experience of maybe checking out for a little while and going somewhere else, you know, rather than dealing with this second wave, third wave, fourth wave. And, you know, I'm here in Seattle and there's discussion of pulling back and going into some more restrictions on our end as well. So, yeah, it's definitely something that uh, we're all dealing with. So it's, it's interesting times, that's for sure. Let's go back to when the pandemic first broke out last year. Take me through the timeline from when you first learned about COVID-19 to actually being on site and filming. It had to be just a whirlwind of activity to go from learning about this virus that was spreading to deciding that it's a film you're gonna make and then actually doing it. So can you walk me through that timeline? Yeah. I mean, it's a special circumstance, the way I, I came about receiving this film. And uh, I remember in March, 2019, I just returned from Los Angeles. I was uh, releasing a, a previous film from 2019 that, that premiered at TIFF. And it's it's called This Is Not A Movie. And it's a documentary about journalism, about a journalist named Robert Fisk. Uh, so I, I was on the festival circuit. I was about to release the movie theatrically and everything came, everything came crashing down. And I just remember this, I think a lot of people felt, which is sort of like this sense of distance from the virus, that it wasn't present, you know? And that right. even though I have family in, in mainland China, I have a brother who lives in Beijing and I was getting reports from him, like, you know, and they were going through severe lockdown at that time in March, you know? I was just sort of like, it's not coming over here. This is not happening. And I remember when it did happen, the lockdown in Toronto, I just sort of sat, I, was, I just remember the, the, the image that comes to mind is me just sitting on uh, and just kind of plopped down in my couch and just with the energy sucked out of me and the fear of this apocalypse and sort of feeling very defeated and uh and luckily in canada we have quite a support system in terms of just they enacted this this support system for for financial support system for everybody self-employed you know freelancers we were able to tap into something called serb uh which was just um a, a monthly bit of a stipend to help us get through things and luckily I, I didn't need it too long before I got this gig from a studio in Los Angeles called Starlight, Starlight Media. They're a Chinese American company and they reached out to me asking if I'd be interested in making a seeing through. So essentially what happened was I inherited 300 hours of footage, raw footage that was filmed by uh, a team of filmmakers who were locked down in Wuhan, the city, as we know, the epicenter where the virus started. And uh, they were locked in Wuhan. Uh, originally, they were planning to make a film about the Yangtze River, and then they couldn't. So they pivoted. They sent their crew out to follow nine different characters, cross-section of healthcare, frontline workers, and essential workers. And so I inherited that footage, and I was tasked to see it through, to, to kind of piece it together. And so I was very grateful. I am grateful that for the work that the crew put into the film, the kind of intimacy and contact they had with the characters they followed, the, the documentary subjects they followed. And I was tasked to kind of piece it together remotely from Toronto with my with my editors. I had two editors, uh, two lead editors, two associate editors in Los Angeles uh, of Chinese heritage to kind of see this film through. And that was it. And I recall, you know, distinctly what the driving force for myself and for my team, they had their own experiences. But for me, is the week before I got the call to make this film, I had a, 
anti-Chinese racist incident in my neighborhood of Toronto, which is so unfounded and weird because Toronto is the most diverse city in the world. You know, you don't expect this kind of thing to happen. Sure, in my childhood, maybe when growing up in a small town, but this this was directed to myself, to my daughter, uh, as we were on a walk, and I just remember reeling with just what the heck is going on here and that carried through and, and as I looked at the footage uh, from the raw footage from the film I, I I saw a through line and that through line was um, this sort of universality that a lot of the that you see in the film a lot of the subjects and the characters in the film go through these emotional ups and downs similar to what I was going through similar to what I think a lot of people could in some ways relate to especially through our protagonists uh, the lead protagonists I would say this young couple in the film and so you know the, the drive to make the film was really around this idea of seeing through and beyond all the statistics the kung flu the china virus you know all these really ridiculous hateful things and and the divisiveness and certainly the time we started editing you know just all the chaos happening in america and that and just sort of seeing through that finding a common ground feeling that you know as you mentioned the great thing about movies and films is that not only is it an, an escape but also it's a way to feel and see with empathy not with you know statistics and and numbers but with empathy the experience of others and i think that uh, was the driving force we, we came upon this quote written by a 7th century japanese official to the chinese government or whatever it was at the time uh you know um, dynasty. It was something like, you know, we see different mountains and, and oceans, and, and yet we are the same. We live under the same sky. And that really was the theme of the film. And, um, and I hope that it carries through for audiences. Oh, for me, it absolutely did when I when I watched it. And one thing that I thought that I was thinking about while I was watching it and then absorbing it all when I was done, it was over the course of the film, there's a really good balance that you have of showing the stress and dangers of the pandemic while also showing the bravery and dedication of the medical staff. And also, I think you mentioned the resiliency of the people that are actually the ones being cared for. So now you're saying that you received all of this footage. So what was it like for you and your crew, just from an emotional standpoint, to go through all of this footage and see how all of that was, was unfolding, kind of not quite in real time, but just kind of right after the fact? Yeah, in a way, it was uh, what we were seeing in the footage, because uh, this is footage that was filmed in, in February of March uh, 2020 in Wuhan, and they really had their horrible time in January 2020. So this was like still chaos, but not as bad. You know, they, they kind of got a handle on it pretty well, you know, obviously uh, uh, in China. And so as we were looking at the footage in America and here in Canada, we were just beginning to experience this, you know, the fallout of just this, the tension and the spread of the virus and the, and the triage and the ICU chaos, you know, all that stuff. And so it was, it felt like in a way that we were witnessing something in real time as well, because what was happening in the footage was mirroring what was happening in North America. So uh, it was, I have to say, it was a very emotional experience to live with that footage. In a way, as a director, it was different for me because usually I'm on the ground, on location, making the film. And usually the experience out of that is that you're too close to the footage. You know it too well, the before and after of everything. And, and there's no distance. 
And often working with an editor, you allow the editor to use that distance to be able to see through the story versus what you think the story could be. So in, in this instance, I was in a kind of in the editor's chair in a way because I, I, I was not familiar with the footage. So I could basically I just kind of found the story faster than I think I would have if I was the one on location. Do you know what I mean? Like the engagement oh, yeah. footage was different. Right. Um, I can tell you those early days in, in the spring and summer were hard. It was um, very emotional and and just coming across some of the more harrowing ICU footage was uh, really hard and, and hard for the crew. But I think what drove us to get through it was like, well, actually we didn't want it to be all about what was happening in the ICU. And so just to be able to tell, to get outside the hospitals was really important. And that's something that I hadn't seen yet uh, at that time and or now, you know, since. I, I think I haven't really seen that in, in films about Wuhan. And, and so um, it was really about digging into that everyday footage uh, that you see with the young couple, for example. That level of, of emotion that runs the, the gamut of reality, which is highs and lows, ups and downs, you know, confusion, anger, humor, you know, humor is such a big part of it, I think, that right. the human body has to generate all these different, you know, synapses when dealing with chaos. And and oftentimes we resort to humor to get out of things and, and dance and, you know, that cut and singing, you know, and, and that thing that's sort of reflected in this film, I think. Oh, absolutely. I, that's definitely something that I that I got out of watching it. And I felt like I really got to know the city and the people much more than I ever had before. And, you know, the unfortunate side of that is when people hear the name Wuhan or see it in the yeah. news or whatever. Unfortunately, there's been a pretty negative connotation attached to that in some respects, depending on you know what exactly. the source of it is. So yeah. for those that don't know much about Wuhan, you know, it is the capital city of the Hubei province, which is in the pretty much the heart of China's mainland. And one thing I really love, I mean, I know that you weren't there shooting this footage, but I really loved how you added in some great aerial shots of the city and how yeah. the Yangtze River cuts through it. So overall, the film does a lot to humanize the city and its people. So I feel like this is a really important aspect of the film. Yeah. So what do you most want people to see about the city of Wuhan itself when they watch this film? Uh, yeah, I mean, you raise a great point. I mean, this film is a portrait of a city, and, and a city isn't a city without its people. Uh, you know, the heartbeat of the city are individuals who, uh, you know, you see, I think the characters we focus on are, are, are sort of trying to help people, you know, and it's there's frustrations as well. You know, we have a young cup, we have a young mother and son stuck in this temporary hospital, and she's desperately trying to do anything to save her son from having to stay, uh, to go to the next um, shelter and or the next hospital. And so she's running through this Byzantine kind of hospital system, the healthcare system to try to save her son. And so it's, um, that is quite emotional. I, f I found unique as well. And as a city portrait, I think what I wanted to show was that Wuhan is a thriving cultural center on many levels. So because I had made a film about the Yangtze River many years ago called, called Up the Yangtze and traveled the river up and down from Chongqing to Wuhan, some of the largest cities in the world, I know that these are cultural hubs, 
you know, Wuhan used to be a colonial, you know, city. There's a there's a whole European kind of connection to Wuhan. And today it's like a thriving art center with a crazy punk music culture and uh, an art culture, like like experimental art culture and performance art culture. And it's really a cool place. Like, you know, we shared this film with audiences, you know, in the early days of editing, just with people who hadn't seen anything before. And often the remark was, uh, we thought Wuhan was a you know, wet market village. And in fact, it's absolutely not that. It is a, you know, as you see, a cosmopolitan metropolis, you know, truly is. And so I think that is kind of an objective I had, which is, as you said, just sort of the humanize the city that's been, you know, it used to be known as an essential kind of, what's the word that they used to call it? Like the Paris of China, uh, you know, and, and it was a place where a source of trade and culture all that lost, you know, obviously because of the pandemic and the coronavirus. And, and now it's just obviously it's it's taken on a whole nother thing. But but I'm hoping to reset that a little bit with this movie. Oh, that's that's great. And that's I actually had the thought while watching the movie. I was like, this is a city that I would actually like to visit, all things considered. Oh, yeah. And, you know, if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, just the bits and pieces that you were able to show of the city and the culture. And it was fascinating and made me want to know more. So great job with that. And Thank you know, you. The, you know, going back to the, the people that we saw, the doctors, the nurses, the patients, you know, there was a lot of inspiring people in your movie. And I'm sure taking a bit of a left turn now, I'm sure there's a lot of inspiring people that you've had in your life. Now, who would you say is the number one person that inspires you that's actually not a filmmaker of any type? That is not a filmmaker. I mean, the first thing that pops into my mind is uh, my grandparents. You know, I think of, they've passed, you know, they're no longer here, but uh, I think of my grandfather, uh, my paternal grandfather, who during the civil war in China from in Shanghai had to leave with his family and smuggle their way to Hong Kong and you know leaving everything behind and then as a mature student you know getting into a university in Canada called McGill University in Montreal which is here we call it the Harvard of Canada and he got in as a mature student um, to study chemistry uh, this is a guy who couldn't even really speak English, and he somehow did this. He went ahead of his family, and then a couple of years later, brought my parent, my father, and his siblings, and my my grandmother via boat to California, and then from California by train up to Montreal, and um, and that that's how we, you know, my paternal side of family got to Canada, and then eventually. A good half of my family's living in California and, and actually Seattle. You know, I think I think of my grandfather and his resilience and the time that I got to spend with him and the wisdom he imparted on, uh, to me, you know, later in his broken English. I remember a significant road trip he took with me. I just got my license when I was 16 and, and my grandmother, his wife, had just died and we we did this trip together around southern Ontario and through uh, the Manitoulin Islands, through Flint, Michigan, and back around through Detroit up to uh, back up to Toronto. And, and it was uh, just a really important trip. It wasn't about what, what he was saying necessarily. It was just about that connection the, and understanding the depths of our family history and lineage and culture. It really kind of 
focused me more on on my my roots and being interested in understanding where I come from, which is something that was kind of hammered out of me as a young kid because you're forced to assimilate. Or the idea was back then, you know, you had to assimilate, especially growing up in a small town and the racism around that too, you know, being one of the only Chinese families in this small town took a toll, I think, on my confidence. And so here, seeing my grandfather and seeing him as someone not to be ashamed of, but to be proud of was a big thing. And inspire. Oh, oh, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Now, what is your first movie memory? And what was it that made you want to be a filmmaker? I credit my father for that. He didn't even know it. But I guess as him, as a young kid growing up uh, in just like an immigrant, you know, from Hong Kong, from Shanghai to Hong Kong to Canada when he was, I think, 13, he gravitated to movies and he watched a lot of movies. And so he didn't even know it but he just used to use the vhs recorder and just take all sorts of movies black and white films classics you know there used to be a guy on television here named uh eloise yost and eloise yost had a sunday night at the movies thing on local television eloise yost is the father of the screenwriter i forget his first name a yost but the screenwriter, he ended up writing Speed and all sorts of oh, great wow. stuff. And so Ellie was like a huge influence. He would have these double features at, on, on TV that my dad would tape for us. And not only that, he would, my father used to go get uh, Super 8 movies from the um, local library. And he had a projector in the basement he'd set up and play us uh, silent Super 8 movies uh, <laughs> that were abridged versions of films. Like I, I distinctly remember my first memory was uh, a movie, I think it was an Abbott Costello. It was a film called um, Wolfman versus Frankenstein. Okay. Or something like that. <laughs> right, right. And it was amazing. And it was, uh, <laughs> and I just remember being like in awe of that thing. And, and then later in high school, like I kind of had a sense like I liked movies, you know, and I don't think it ever left me. I got into documentary films. I really dug uh, Michael Moore's Roger and Me. A history teacher showed it in class, an American history class, and I was blown away by its power and its and its voice. You know, the the clear line of its argument and its politics. I really liked it, um, and I was like, I, I kind of want to do something like that. And I, I I joined the film club in my high school and I started filming things. So I was always doing something like that, making films from very young age. So it sounds like there's a lot of passion and emotion that you've brought from your childhood into your filmmaking. You know, I think we, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't born with the ability to make a film and that was a learning curve, you know, and I think that was about immersing in, and watching as many movies as possible and then going to film school and then still not knowing really what to do and how to make a film, but feeling the encouragement of uh, professors and people that helped me along the way. And then just trying to like, Luckily, I had the opportunity to kind of just travel. And so I lived in New York for a while. I lived in Hong Kong and traveled China and really sort of started thinking about what I wanted to say. And I think that's something that takes time. And, and I think that that first film you make really require, first or second film really requires that energy, that uh, kind of do anything to get it done type 
energy that you need to have to finish a film. And, and I focused that on my first feature, uh, Up the Yangtze. And, and so I found that once I got through that film, and I didn't really even have a sense at the time if it was a good film or not, but then it seemed to kind of break out and did quite well. And, uh, and that, you know, that was, I guess, how I got in to the business. And so it really, um, I don't know what, I think I, I've uh, digressed from your original question, but I think the point is that uh, that path is quite a long path right. and it takes time to get there. Oh, that's great. Really good answer. Thank you for sharing that. Coming back to the documentary, Wuhan, Wuhan, one of the scenes in the movie that for me really kind of encapsulated what we're talking about of the passion and the energy and the emotion of filmmaking, especially documentary filmmaking. And the one I'm thinking of is when some of the medical staff were getting their haircuts. Yeah. And mm -hmm. for me, you could tell in their faces and you know just, just their eyes as much as you could see, there was so much going on. Yeah. emotionally mentally and it really it really got to me watching those moments so how are you able to identify those type of things and say or do you actually say this is something that that's going to be one of those touchstone moments or does it just kind of happen once the audience starts reacting oh no it, yeah definitely was a thing you know you're mining the footage for all those emotional little tidbits and uh, each character has to have a handful of these moments in order to make a thorough kind of character arc um, for each of them. And so uh, for Nurse Susu, that was her moment. I think we open her her portrait with that particular scene. Right. Then we get into her story a little bit. I mean, it's quite a thing, you know, I think in Wuhan, what was special about this, you know, was the sort of the, the people that came descended upon the city to help. And that wasn't some sort of like a propaganda thing. This was like, you know, I think this was really driven um, by the by these healthcare workers to do something. And, and you see it across the board, even in North America, you know, in, Can in, in America as well. I made a short film called Pandemic 19, actually, while concurrently, while I was making this film, it's a short film that you can see on World Channel right now, but uh, it follows three American frontline doctors and they each going through their own kind of mini arcs, their little stories. And one of them is my cousin, Dr. Brian Chang from California. And in his story, he decides to volunteer as a doctor uh, in New York, the peak of their pandemic in New York. And so follow that through a little bit. And so, I'm, you know, the point is, is that, you know, I think it was across the board, this feeling that certain doctors really and healthcare workers felt like they had to help, you know. And, and so that's what I think is so emotional about that moment with nurses and doctors getting their hair cut haircut there's also this fear because you know the real reason they had to do it was because they were worried the virus would linger on their their hair and their skin and and short hair was safer so people were cutting their hair off yeah yeah, and that's what I was getting at is you could see just that roller coaster of emotions. And I think she started crying as yeah. well. And I, you know, I'm yeah. sitting there, I'm, I was getting emotional, kind of going yeah. through those same things she, yeah. was, she was going through. So, you know, fantastic job picking those out and, and creating those moments. It, it just created such a such a fulfilling experience of watching the documentary. Aside from the premiere that we talked about with Hot Docs Film Festival, the movie is also going to be available at the DOXA Documentary Film Festival the Sarasota Film Festival and CamFest, at least that's the list that I've seen so far. Yeah, now, it's still kind of rolling out. Uh, yeah. It's slow, but uh, there will be many, many festivals coming up and I think quite a handful in the U.S. So, um, yeah, I think, I, I guess for your listeners, the best place to go is our is our website, Wuhan, Wuhan Doc. 
www.festivalsofhope.com and uh, they can get the latest on um, all the festival releases or how they can see the film. And I think the hope is that at some point we'll get uh, a distributor and, uh, and release it theatrically or however it's being done right now. Right, exactly. Now, I'll also have links on the podcast webpage for your website so people will be able to find info through my channels of how they can watch the movie. Now, is there anything else you'd like to add about the movie or upcoming yeah. festivals or anything else that you want to throw out there for the listeners? Yeah. You know, one thing I want to mention is that given the theme that, you know, we're that we set out to make this film about, you know, the shared humanity of, of it and, and that this was a portrait of a city under duress, under, under pandemic, I also made sure that we would it was important to have as many people from Wuhan involved in the movie and the making of the movie mm. and uh, something that I love about the film is the band that made the, the soundtrack they're a band called Hualun Hualun H-U-A-L-U-N you can find them on Bandcamp their, their music is amazing and they're one of the first uh, original punk bands uh, in Wuhan at the time. And then their music really has progressed in many ways. And, and they made their name as composers, I think, with a film that I loved, a fiction film that came out a couple of years ago called An Elephant Sitting Still. And uh, one of my favorite films ever. And the soundtrack to that is awesome. And, and I got in touch with them and they were able to do this. Uh, the calligraphy you see in the opening of the film with Wuhan is by a Wuhanese calligrapher that we found. Oh, wow. And so I think there's these little touches that are really important, you know, for me to see through in this, and that's part of it. Young, thank you so much for taking the time to thank speak you. with me. I know you're right in the middle of your world premiere, all these festivals coming up. So thank you for taking the time, and I wish you all the best in the future. Thanks so much, Margaret. Appreciate your time. Thank you. This is the Changing Directions podcast series featuring Yung Chang, the director of Wuhan, Wuhan. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review on iTunes, and share on social media. Any way you can support the podcast is very much appreciated. You can find every podcast episode and all of my movie reviews, including my review of Wuhan, Wuhan, on 206.com. Thank you for listening to the Changing Directions podcast series presented by 206.com.